is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in on this Tuesday, January the 30th, live on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. Hello to those of you joining us via the YouTube site, uh, but also hello to everybody else joining us after the fact on your favorite podcast app or through Sikkim365.com. Welcome in. Our weekly sit down every week to talk Baylor Athletics has arrived once again. Hello, everybody. I'm Craig Smoke. Sikkim 365, joined by Grayson Grunhafer, and also behind the scenes pushing all the right buttons and making us sound good is Garrett Ross, and we have a busy show for you today as just a little while ago, less than an hour ago from when we started this broadcast, the Big 12 released their full schedules for the 2024 season. We've known for quite some time who the opponents for each team would be in this first year after the departures of Texas and Oklahoma. It is certainly... Uh, I think the initial reaction of a lot of people when they see these schedules to see, oh, wait, there's no Texas, there's no Oklahoma. And some teams last year got a little taste of that uh, because you didn't play both of them. But this year it is truly the new Big 12, Grayson Grunhafer. So we're going to dive into that. Also have some recruiting to get into as well as your mailbag to close the show out as always. But uh, first things first, I guess, how are we doing this week, man? I mean, I'm doing pretty good. This weekend was obviously a very busy one, junior day um, for Baylor, and I it, it was a really good weekend, I, I felt like, recruiting-wise. So I know we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then obviously the Big 12 released that they were going to announce this football schedule, and I think that added even more excitement um, for the early part of this week. So it, it's pretty exciting, obviously, getting to actually see the dates on the schedule. We don't have times, don't have you know what station it's going to be on it and things like that, but at least we know the dates of when these games are going to be played and the layout of the schedule, which is very important. Yes, and I'm seeing that there's a lot of people, and it's understandable because not everybody pays super close attention this early or all the time to college football and its schedules, but a lot of people are like, wow, we get two bye weeks this year. Well, breaking news, everybody gets two bye weeks this year. This is not unique to the Big 12 schedule. This is not a new idea they came up with. This is just the way that the calendar fell for 2024. Uh, so there's an earlier Labor Day. Uh, it's on September the 2nd, and so that just kicks everything off a little bit earlier. And therefore, everybody in college football has two bye weeks, which is certainly one of the unique parts of this schedule. And quite frankly, as somebody who basically feels like they're out and about every Saturday in the fall. I kind of welcome the two bye weeks. I'm interested to see what that's like because I feel as though that might be kind of a nice thing for everybody involved to have an extra breather than normal. Yeah, and it's the first time since 2019. So if you go look at the 2019 Baylor schedule, the Bears actually did have two byes that year as well. Um, these next two years are both going to have two bye weeks, 2024 and 2025. So yeah, it's a nice wrinkle to the schedule. I think it's a great thing for Baylor uh, this year, especially just because of all the road games. Um, it definitely gives them a chance to have a breather, a nice break in between. And if you look at the schedule, you can see why those byes fit in so nicely to kind of allow Baylor to have success, I would say, and break up some of these, you know, long runs. So how about we look at the schedule Let's and just go ahead and see what this will be for the Bears. I mean, again, we've known the opponents. We've known um, about the non-con, and we've known home and away. We just haven't really known 
um, you know, where the where the dates would fall as far as how these games would be played and laid out. And so here we are, and here's the 2024 schedule for your uh, fighting Baylor Bears. On August the 31st, the opener at home against Tarleton State. Nothing too fancy there. And then they will hit the road in week number two on September the 7th and take on Utah. And a reminder that Utah is in the Big 12 now, but this is not a Big 12 game because of just the schedules previously having been set and the way the schedule was spit out. There are a couple of games in the conference this year, uh, not both Baylor, but a couple games in the conference that will not be considered conference games. And this is one of those. It's a weird quirk, but that's just kind of the way everything fell. So Utah, a non-conference game there in week number two on the road. Yeah, and I did want to mention originally the Utah game was going to be on September 14th. So a slight change. I think it was announced a couple months ago. Um, Not sure the exact reason it was announced, but it was announced. And so it moves up to September 7th, which is actually a great thing. You know, as you can tell from the schedule, um, it would be pretty bad to be playing at Utah on the 14th and then having another road game right after that. So I think that laid out really well, um, but that's going to be a big, big challenge. Utah, I mean, historically over the past decade under Kyle Whittingham has just been absolutely rock solid at home, one of the toughest places to play. So Baylor's going to have to be ready very early in the season. Yes, they will get tested uh, right out of the gates, a game that they had an opportunity to win last year and just Blew it uh, there at the end, couldn't hold on, and uh, Utah gets a nice come-from-behind win in Waco, and uh, that kind of uh, just was part of the way the season went. Uh, Some of your close calls did not go your way last year, and and that was a win that you wonder, had they won that game, if things would have gone all that much differently, because it did seem like it took some, some wind out of their sails a little bit, but regardless, an opportunity to get a little bit of, uh, not revenge, but a little bit of a, of a, get back against the Utes. Then in week three, on the 14th of September, you will play your final non-con game, and that will be at home against Air Force, who last we saw two Decembers ago was putting it on Baylor in the freezing cold in Fort Worth in a bowl game, the Armed Forces Bowl, and uh, a night that, you know, you say no one will forget. You won't remember it for the right reasons if you're a Baylor fan, but Air Force in week number three. So there is your non-con for the 2024 schedule. Then you get Big 12 play started off on September the 21st, and you will open up on the road against Dion and the Colorado Buffaloes. So the first meeting with Colorado in some time, and first meeting is Big 12 opponents in uh, that same amount of time. But uh, now back in the conference, and Baylor will be getting them pretty much right out of the gates. Uh, that'll be followed by BYU on the uh, home side of the thing uh, the schedule on September the 28th. So the Cougs back on the schedule after a year away. It played them a couple years in the non-con, but first meeting is Big 12 opponents here against BYU for Baylor. So there is uh, the August date, the 31st, and then the month of September. Tarleton State at home, Utah on the road, Air Force at home, Colorado opening Big 12 play on the road, BYU at home. Any thoughts on that first stretch of the schedule? Yeah, I'm pretty sure every conference member is probably really jealous that Baylor gets that first Big 12 game against Colorado. I think that's a big deal. That's not something that you typically, 
I would say that you see very often on Baylor's schedule where it's just this awesome matchup to start conference play. I felt like, you know, they played Iowa State a couple times the first game of conference play, and that was good. But I think this matchup is pretty special. It's going to be something new, something different, and something that I think speaks to, you know, the tradition of both programs, but also two programs that are trying to trend in a very positive direction this upcoming season. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be a heck of a battle uh, to start off conference play. And then I love the BYU match. That was one that we already knew was going to be on the schedule, um, but it's nice to see it early in the year and, and give Baylor a potential matchup where they can get some confidence early in the season because I do think BYU will probably be a bottom half of the Big 12 team. So they get those four to start things off. You move to the month of October, and it is Iowa State on the road to open up the month of October. Jack Tri Stadium on October the 5th, and so five straight games to start the year, and then... There hits their first bye week of the two bye weeks. That will come... Uh, six straight, actually. Six, six straight, right? Um, one, two, Don't three. Yeah, six straight, six straight. Sorry, yeah. Six straight games to start off the season before the first bye week. And then you finally get that first open week following Iowa State. And so a little bit of a breather at that point. And, man, I'll tell you what, uh, six games in, I mean, you could be sinking or swimming already uh, at this point. And you sure as heck better have your head above water because if not, then... Man, it could get really ugly in the second half of this season, even though there's another bye week coming up. It's not your traditional second half, but still, those first six games, I mean, at Colorado, at Iowa State, uh, BYU, at Utah, Air Air Force even as a non-con, I mean, you have to respect them at this point, especially after a couple years ago. So, dude, I mean, you're... You could be like three and three very easily. You could be two and four if you're not Mm -hmm. careful. And shoot, if you're four and two, you actually probably feel pretty good. I mean, especially in comparison to this past season and, and how up and down that was. So yeah, I mean, if you're three and three, oof. you're probably feeling good after last year. Yeah, I mean, last year was just a, a complete disaster. I will say, you know, I don't find any of these games not winnable, but I do think these are some major challenges. You know, having to play at Utah is by far, in my eyes, the toughest game on the schedule. And so to have that number, the second game of the year, that that's going to be a huge challenge. I will say though. You know, we're going to dive into these bye weeks a little bit, but that stretch that we're about to come up to in the month of October and early November is very intriguing. But the fact that you have all these, you know, these multiple bye weeks in there um, could be huge uh, for the Bears. But that first six game stretch is going to be probably make or break the season. I would say you're, you're going to know what Baylor is after those first six weeks. Yeah, you should have a pretty good idea. You'd have already had road games and Ames, Boulder and Salt Lake City, yeah. right? So, yeah, you'll you'll be road tested halfway through the season for sure. So you'll come back from that first bye week, and it is Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock. Uh, so there's a you know rivalry game, so to speak. And I noticed there's a lot of BYU fans like flipping their lids about, oh my god, how did they not put Utah and BYU in rivalry week? And it's like the Big Twelve doesn't have like a big rivalry week. That's no. not the way that it works. Spread out. So they're like they're like. How disrespectful and just it's like, man, we're going to have to get used to like new people learning new things. And it's kind of annoying, honestly, but it's also understandable. But I just seen a lot of like Utah and BYU just I can't believe the conference did this to us. And it's it wasn't intentional. There's no by there's no big rivalry weekend. When do they think the rivalry week is Uh, the last week of the year? Yeah, it's like the last week. And they they expect it to be like all the, you know, big teams playing each other. And and I think part of it is the Big 12 is probably trying to ensure that 
they had their games on the best TV stations possible because that's yeah. typically when the channels are going to be loaded up with a lot of the SEC and Big Ten rivalry games. And so, yeah, if you want to put it there, that's fine. But then don't be about it when you're playing at like 11 a.m. on ESPN2 if neither one of you are very good, you know. So there are there are catches to that. But, yeah, that, that's been one of the, the eye-opening things is to see Utah-BYU fans be like, why are we not on rivalry week? But um, there are a lot of – Interesting rivalries, my point in saying all that, that the Big 12's clearly hoping to develop and Mm -hmm. wanting to be bigger than it has been. And and I just wonder where Baylor and Texas Tech could fall as far as rivalry games go in the new Big 12 because there's a lot of common interest and crossover there. But it will be Texas Tech to start that second half of the season or second portion of the season. I guess it's actually three phases to the season. So this is kicking off phase two. That'll be followed by... Oklahoma State at McLean Stadium on October the 26th. Then you stay at home, back-to-back home games, and it will be the TCU Horned Frogs. And that will close this second slate. But that chapter at Tech and then home against Oklahoma State and TCU, that is a very interesting little middle three games on the schedule as well. And they needed that sandwich between two bye weeks. I think that fits in perfectly. Those three games are going to take a lot emotionally and physically out of Baylor, I would think. I mean, those are just, I mean, they're basically all three rivalry games. I mean, for the most part. And TCU and Texas Tech obviously being the two most notable there. Um, But that TCU game is going to loom large. And I was just kind of looking at the schedule and, Really, the only rivalry games that are on the last weekend of the year, you got Arizona-Arizona State. Um, that's that's one. That's that, one. that was a protected rivalry like by the and big TCU. T- yes, those are and, the, and remember, everybody was complaining, well, why are there only these protected rivalries? And, right. Yeah. And then uh, Kansas and Kansas State is 10-26, which is another protected rivalry. But then Farmageddon is on eleven thirty, which I know is not going to be a consistent one. But over the next few years, it still will be there, and they're getting it on Rivalry Weekend. Baylor's getting their rivalry on the second. But I like that. I think the Baylor-TCU game is going to get a lot more attention if it's not on the last weekend of the year. So that makes a lot of sense. I know I wrote a piece earlier last week, and that was one of the things I was looking for. You know, if they don't have TCU-Baylor the last weekend of the year, maybe they can put on a weekend where it's always going to be that weekend. So if it's the first weekend in November, I think that fits really, really well um, with kind of the schedule layout and just kind of the notoriety and adding to the brand of that game uh, could be really cool. But in general, on this schedule, I like that these three games have a bye week following because I do think it's going to test the Bears a lot. And again, this is the stretch where it goes from, you know, we know if you're a good team or a bad team after the first six weeks, and then we know if you're a contender or if you're not over these next, I guess, five weeks with those two buys. Yeah, six three three is the way it's set up. So we've gone through the first nine games. You'll have the six game stretch, bye week, three game stretch, bye week. So that second one once again, Texas Tech on the road, which who knows? Uh they certainly smell um blood in the water after bludgeoning Baylor last year, but we know how that went for Baylor. Baylor beat the mess out of Tech in Lubbock and then turned right around and got smacked. So now one and one, so to speak, um, in this new era of the rivalry with these head coaches. And so going back to Lubbock 
And uh, that should be always, I think, kind of a feisty game. Yep. You would think, even though Tech put it on them pretty good and Baylor put it on them pretty good the year prior, but new teams and new stakes and a new-looking conference for sure. So that'll be fun. Oklahoma State always has Baylor's number. Doesn't matter the year. Doesn't matter the roster. Doesn't matter anything. And uh, they jump up and get them every once in a while. But here lately, Oklahoma State, and I know Big 12 championship game, there will always be that. But yeah. Oklahoma State has, a, has an affinity for getting their number in the, in the regular season more often than not, it feels like. And um, so that one will be a good one at home. And then TCU, obviously, we know how that goes. So that's a that's a very interesting little middle stretch right there. Yeah, and Oklahoma State's going to be the homecoming game. That's been officially announced. Okay. So that's going to be a good matchup, I think, for homecoming for Baylor. And, yeah, Oklahoma State's beaten them, you know, a few times here and there. I think Oklahoma State really is – what they've done is they've smashed Baylor a couple times, really yep. beaten them badly. And then, obviously, TCU has definitely been the team that's had their number uh, for years now. That's been a real challenge for Baylor and something they absolutely have to flip this year, um, or at least soon. I mean, that that has to change. So then it's down to the final three-week stretch, and we'll see where they are here in terms of needing bowl – eligibility do they have six wins by now or are they needing one two three wins in the final three games uh who knows but it will start off after that bye week the second bye week on the road against west virginia who is expecting to be pretty good after last year but we'll see uh then another road game so back-to-back road games in that final three game stretch and this time going to houston for the first visit as members of the uh, Big 12 together last year. Houston with the big win in Waco. Uh, there at the end of the game, Donovan Smith with the touchdown that uh, sent the Cougs crazy and really just sent Baylor further plummeting into despair with the way that season went. Uh, but that was an, a black mark for sure, or an ugly black eye for sure on the uh, tail end of the season. So going to Houston and then closing things out on November the 30th, back at home for the first time in... Four weeks, uh, they will face Lance Leipold and the Kansas Jayhawks, who for all we know might be in the Big 12 title run race. Uh, Maybe Baylor is as well. This could be a game to determine who goes to Arlington for all we know, but uh, you know the Jayhawks will be scrappy, and that's a game that you could use uh, use to be able to chalk up as just an automatic win unless you were Texas. Uh, Now not so much. So, yes, West Virginia on the road, Houston on the road, and then Kansas at home. There is your third and final leg to this 2024 schedule and so the only thing now missing from what we need to know about next year to know everything about next year outside of just what the team looks like are the actual game times which of course we won't know many of those until well the season (laughs) arrives so uh, don't need to worry about that for quite a while but everything else we now know when where who and uh, all of those things. We just don't know which versions of these teams will show up by that point. But uh, what are your thoughts on that third and final stretch there? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of this schedule came to fruition as far as what I wanted to see from the schedule or what I was hoping to see that would help Baylor. And, you know, you go to November and getting two home games and two road games is pretty ideal. You know, not having to have three road games in the month of November uh, is huge. I mean, there's still tough challenges. I mean, TCU at West Virginia and Kansas, I mean, those are all three, I think, going to be bowl teams. Potentially all three could be contenders in the Big 12 as well. Um, And so for that reason, Baylor's going to have to play well, but they need to get rid of this November problem that they have right now. I think they've lost seven straight in the month of November, and 
that's winning time. Like that's when you're trying to finish on a high note. That's when you're trying to compete for a big 12 championship. That's when you're just trying to, you know, say, Hey, look at the team we have going into bowl season or going into next season. And that just has not been the case the last couple of years. And so they got to flip that. And I, I think this end of season stretch gives them a chance for that, but they're going to have to be a good football team if they're really going to capitalize on it. Cause they got some tough matchups here late. And that last matchup against Kansas is going to be very intriguing. You know, we'll see what Kansas looks like this year. Um, but at the end of the year, you know, Kansas seems to be playing their best football. It feels like late in the season. So Baylor's going to have to be ready for that. So did you already go through and put your record together for next I mean, year? I have an idea of kind of where I'm at, but it's basically where I was at before the schedule was released. I, I think based on this, it, I, I think they can get to six wins. I really do. I think that there's a chance you could win more than that, but I couldn't say, I can't say that I believe in that until I see far more from this team. Like, after what happened last year, you really need to see it put on the field, maybe see it in the spring game before really knowing. But I do think this is a schedule that will allow them to compete for a bowl game, get back to that at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, agreed. I think uh, it's assuming a lot to think that there's, oh, yeah, eight wins rolling out of this schedule. Yeah. I can't look at the schedule and say that at, at all no. based on where they are. Had they had had a good year last year and had like eight wins or something, I could be very confident and be like, yeah, they'll get back to eight but just given what we've seen the last couple of years, I mean, I can't can't just give them wins where right. they don't really deserve to to be given the benefit of the doubt at this stage, and especially with all of the changes, just not knowing what those are going to really look like in the long run. Um, yeah, there's a lot of potential here, but it's it's a schedule that you better be careful with, man. You you play with fire, and you can get burned pretty quickly with this one. So, uh, ought to be interesting. It's definitely a new era in the Big Twelve. Um, to not see Texas and Oklahoma on here, but here we are. Uh, that's part of the deal to have two bye weeks. That's not abnormal. That's happened on occasion and will happen the next couple of years. But just uh, four new faces after already welcoming in four new faces. It's just weird to see all of these teams lined up and as big as the conference has gotten the last couple of years. It's uh, taken a little bit of getting used to. But there you go. There is the Baylor schedule for 2024 and everybody else is unpacking theirs and probably giving their record predictions and all that good stuff but uh, plenty to wade through now with uh, the Big 12 releasing that earlier today so anything else on the schedule to add on or anything like that before we move on here you know I, I just think just in general the fact that Baylor really only has two two weeks where they go back-to-back road games because they have bye weeks between a couple of their other ones. They don't have three road games in a row. I think that's really important. The only weather game that I see on there is that at West Virginia game in November. That's going to be brutal. But outside of that, you know, getting Iowa State, Colorado, and Utah all early in the season really allows you to avoid um, some of those bad weather games. And then the only other thing I'll say is, you know, looking at the schedule, the only game that I sit back and go, okay, I find it hard to believe at this point that Baylor is going to win that game. There's only one. It's the Utah game. Outside of that, I really think Baylor can win any game on the schedule. And I know people are going to say, oh, Colorado, like they're trending up. Yeah, Colorado won four games last year. Baylor can win that game. I'll also say, you know, in the back half of the schedule, again, I think there's opportunities to, to get some wins. We'll see if West Virginia can repeat what they did a year ago. I'm not sold that they're going to be as good. Um, and then Houston, you know, I think Baylor can maybe take advantage of that as well. So I do think, again, this schedule lays out pretty well to get back to a bowl game. Um, and there's possibilities for more than that if Baylor is actually a good football team next year. Yeah, which remains to be seen. They've made a lot of changes, and they've uh, seemingly addressed a lot of issues, but there's just not really any certainty until we see it uh, actually in full 
HD and full 4K uh, next year. And uh, we'll have a lot of time to talk about it and speculate as to what all can happen and occur to you know, lead them in certain paths uh, to a great record or to a middling record or to even a bad record and what all that will look like. But we'll unpack all that over the next few months. So there you go. There's a, at least a good look at uh, what to now expect, and you can book your road trips accordingly. If you're those types of fans that get to travel around or go on one road trip maybe, uh, now you can start to get all of that worked out. So um, that's always fun as well. All right, so there's the schedule. Uh, you'll hear plenty more about that upcoming, but this past weekend, Baylor football also had uh, Junior Day and a bunch of prospects um, now on the radar or that have been on the radar and just the, the process of now uh, what getting ahead on 2025 and uh, starting to chip away at that. Uh, there is another National Signing Day, the traditional National Signing Day, National Signing Day number two coming up next Wednesday. But Grayson, uh, we won't have a live show because there's not really a need to, right? I mean, is there anything to speak of when it comes to National Signing Day number two that's of interest to Baylor fans? Uh, Alex Foster, yeah, uh, the big commit from Mississippi who they seemingly fended off Texas for. Uh, I know that he's pledged and repledged, but is this him actually signing next week? Is that the big thing to look out for? What are we talking about when it comes to Baylor and National Signing Day number two? Yeah, two prospects to keep an eye on for Signing Day number two. Alex Foster, um, the defensive lineman out of St. Joseph there in Mississippi. I mean, this guy is a monster. I think he he so I've had him as the top red prospect in this class for a long time now. He finally got a rankings bump actually today. He's now a 94 overall rated prospect on on 3 and a top 152 prospect in the entire nation, the number 1 player in the state of Mississippi according to on 3. So, he got a huge jump up. Obviously, he would be a massive get for Baylor if he signs Currently, I believe that's going to be the case. I think he's going to sign with Baylor. Um, Texas made a push. They lost their defensive line coach, so I don't think that's going to happen. I know Michigan State offered, and other schools have had conversations with him, um, but I would find it hard to believe that he flips with this little amount of time left. I, I think that Baylor is going to be where he signs, which, again, that would be huge for this Baylor program. The second thing to note, Josh Lair, uh, the safety out of Fort Bend Marshall, uh, he got released from his national letter of intent with Washington once once Kalen DeBoer took the job at Alabama. Um, so now he's open. He's looking around. Um, I heard multiple schools, whether it's LSU, Texas, Texas A&M, a few others uh, have definitely been talking to him and trying to uh, get him to commit to their class. Baylor as well. And Baylor's been doing some work there trying to get him um, to be a Bear. And that would be a huge pickup in the 2024 class. He's a four-star prospect as well. Um, one of the top safeties in the state of Texas and a guy who I know the Baylor um, staff would love to have um, on their roster. Matthew Pallage, Dave Aranda, uh, the two big recruiters there, specifically Pallage, has had a great relationship with him. I've mentioned him a couple times, but uh, kind of a newer update is Dave Aranda and Matthew Pallage did go by. Um, Fort Ben Marshall yesterday and actually multiple coaches were at Fort Ben Marshall yesterday a couple offers went out to that school but they were also there to see Josh Lair so a little bit of an update there but that's where things are kind of at with him right now um, but that would be a huge one I mean to to get Alex Foster to sign a four-star and then to essentially flip another four-star prospect to their you know 2024 class would probably change some people's perspectives on how Baylor did in my eyes and it should it'd be huge yeah it certainly would I mean bump you a little bit not going to make you a top 25 class no. all of a sudden but it would improve what is otherwise a very 
unmemorable class when it comes to ranking and star power and things like that. I mean, they can always turn out to be a class that can say after the fact, told you so, and chip on the shoulder and go out and win a Big 12 title and, you know, middle fingers to the doubters. But that also means that they've done a pretty remarkable thing, and that's going to take some time to to go and and do that, improve that. So until – that's otherwise done. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who doubt this recruiting class or are not very impressed by it. So to get Alex Foster and uh, potentially Josh Lair and add a couple four-stars would definitely uh, spice things up a little bit uh, for this uh, 2024 class. So um, there's that. And any doubts about Foster? I mean, I know Lair's up in the air right now, but it, what's the, the percentage on Foster that you're feeling right now at the moment? Yeah, I mean... The, every conversation I've had with him feels like it's 99% Baylor. Every conversation I've had. Now, could things change? Could conversations be happening over the next few days that, you know, I don't know about, and then he decides to flip? Sure. I mean, it happened with Austin Novosad. I mean, it, it can happen, but um, at this point, I, I feel pretty good that he's going to end up being a Baylor Bear. He, he really hasn't said anything that has told me that any other school is really even on par. And so that's where it's kind of like, It would just have to be completely off the radar, I think, and just completely a flip of the switch over the next couple days. All right, uh, and one other note I wanted to make mention of about the schedule before we move on. I didn't mention this with BYU, but Gary Bohannon will be the quarterback Mm -hmm. for BYU when they roll into Waco, or at least is scheduled to be the quarterback for BYU uh, when they roll into Waco in week number five. So I didn't mention that when we were going over the schedule, but that's also an interesting note uh, that I just saw somebody else mention, uh, Nicole from local TV, Nicole Sheeran. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Gary's at BYU now. So that'll be an interesting return to McLean Stadium. I just wanted to add that on there. Uh, before we move on to now junior days, another part of the coin when it comes to uh, the recruiting front. And now it's a lot of eyes on 2025. So last week or last couple of weeks, we've had an opportunity to talk to some of Baylor's newest assistant coaches. And I put out a write-up on uh, the website yesterday with the Jake Spavital interview and all that he talked about and went over. And uh, they were out on the road recruiting and are still winding that down. And you can tell it's kind of getting to that point where they're like sort of tired of it at this point. He had not even met his players but one time before this past week when they started football school. But from the time he was hired basically at the end of November, early December, to here we are, it's the end of January. Um, That's two months, basically. And he had had like one meeting that was very brief with his quarterbacks and players, and that is basically it. Everything else has been recruiting, recruiting, Mm -hmm. recruiting. So uh, they're finally starting to get into football school, which means a very limited amount of instruction time, but it's at least laying the seeds and starting the foundation building for uh, next year's team. So there is that going on. But he also uh, was out on the road recruiting not to sew up the 2024 class, but to get started on 2025 and 26 and 27. And that's where we are now with this staff having basically had their class wrapped up for a good amount of time here. So uh, we've addressed signing day number two. Could have a little bit of fireworks, but now let's start to really super focus on 2025 and beyond because that's where 
uh, all eyes are now. And uh, what did Junior Day mean this past weekend for the relationship building and the seed planting and all of those different types of things? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a huge weekend for Baylor for a variety of reasons. And, and I mean, the main takeaways, I think just when you're kind of looking at it from a higher level view, not necessarily just looking at every single prospect or whatnot, a few things that really stood out. Um, the Keenan Hall effect is in full go. I mean, that guy, what a recruiter he is. What a hire by the Baylor staff because how many prospects mentioned him, I, I can't even count. Like, they all talked about their relationship with him, what he means being at Baylor, how much that adds to their interest with the Baylor program, how much more, uh, even more comfortable they are, you know, with Baylor because someone like Keenan Hall is at Baylor. I, I mean, it is spectacular to watch that and hear that and and listen to everything that these recruits say the guys in the Dallas area specifically and the guys at the running back position Uh, he just does a great job relating to recruits and I I think that that's going to add um, a whole lot to what Baylor's trying to build in this 2025 class which the expectation is that it's a very good one and I think Keenan Hall is going to play a huge role in that Um, that was a big part of it you know I think that you know Garrett and I talked a little bit about this um after junior day and just mention the fact that you know a lot of the recruits talked about you know Dave Randa changing his approach and changing the NIL approach and then you also looked at you know how's Baylor selling to recruits and one thing that we heard a lot was just these talks about how Baylor's not going to be a school that's expecting guys to transfer and recruits love that and recruits mention that a lot so this this simple fact of yes Baylor's bringing in NIL and that helps that that's a massive plus and something that actually gets you competitive uh, with a lot of the top prospects in the state but then you also dive into the fact that Baylor wants to develop their players Baylor wants to bring in guys who they want to be there for you know three four five years and not just going to the transfer portal for guys and they don't want to see guys leave the program as evidenced by this past season when they had a really bad year and everyone was saying everyone's going to leave the program and not really like Blake Shape and Drake Dabney left and they were replaced by uh, Daquan Finn and Michael Trigg so it wasn't like this huge monumental shift of losing a ton of your guys Baylor's able to retain a lot of those guys and I think when you're a program that focuses on development um these prospects love that because it speaks to the loyalty of the staff and it speaks to how they feel about you as a person, not just a player. And I know people make fun of that quote, but prospects love person over player. They absolutely do. Um, and it doesn't mean that Baylor doesn't want players on their team, doesn't mean that they don't want studs on their roster, but what it does mean is that this Baylor staff actually cares about the players that they're recruiting. And that was just another big part of the entire weekend. So those were some of the main things. I think outside of that, you got to know kind of what positions Baylor's really targeting, whether it's wide receiver, offensive line, uh, the front seven on defense, obviously very important as well. Baylor kind of addressed all those needs by getting guys on campus. So um, yeah, I mean, Craig, we can go through a few different things, but those were some of my just higher level thoughts on kind of what happened. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got a good a bit of time here. I mean, if there's anything important that you want to pass along as far as notes go, then by all means, because we really we have a little bit of basketball to talk about and a few mailbag questions. But for the most part, we've got time. So. Okay. Let's. Uh, I guess let's start with the two Chapel Hill prospects. Yes. Um, I think those are big news items just because both are committed to SMU. Yeah, currently. and Keenan Hall, you could tell, was subtweeting them yes. quite a bit over the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I saw both of these guys play at McLean State as a matter of fact, uh, in the playoffs, I guess that was the semifinal round uh, to book a trip to state. My uh, future brother-in-law is a Chapel Hill grad, so he's very familiar. And I uh, went out to meet him and my sister at McLean. 
I guess it was a couple months ago, and um, they got beat up in the state championship game. But uh, both the players you're about to talk about are pretty good. And, yes, Keenan Hall is all over these guys. Uh, it was very evident on Twitter this past weekend. Yeah, so it's Demetrius Brisbane, which is, I mean, if you watch Chapel Hill, you're going to see him playing quarterback. Um, he is an absolute monster. He does so much for them, uh, throwing the ball and running the football. But I do believe he's more of a defensive back prospect for Baylor, a safety guy. Um, but in general, a great athlete, can play all over the field, um, has offers from Texas, Michigan, many others. I think he's got like 15 offers currently. Um, And then Chapel Hill running back Ricky Stewart, another four-star prospect, again, has offers from everyone. They form that dynamic duo there uh, at Chapel Hill. He's got offers from Alabama, Oregon, Michigan, TCU. Again, a very good offer list as well. Both these guys are currently committed to SMU, but I think both are probably going to change. I I just feel like both are probably going to make a move elsewhere. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be Baylor. Um, But I will say that when Keenan Hall made the move to Baylor, uh, Demetrius Brisbane told me that he wanted to play for him, that that was big for him to play for Keenan Hall. And so that makes me think that, you know, something could be in the works there potentially. I think that Baylor made up a lot of ground there with him and with Ricky Stewart um, and definitely gave them something to think about, right? That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen today or tomorrow, but I do think that it's something to keep an eye on because Baylor made up a lot of ground and that you know, just awesome relationship with Keenan Hall is something very unique uh, that Baylor does offer because he was his their lead recruiter there um, at SMU. As far as Brisbane goes, I just want to mention this because I think these numbers are absurd. Over the past three years, 5,200 yards, 69 touchdowns through the air, 4,500 yards, 44 touchdowns on the ground. I mean, this guy, <laughs> he just does everything uh, for Chapel Hill. He's a very special prospect. And for Baylor to get these two guys on campus, recruit them as hard as they have is is huge, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a great relationship there in place. And that's part of why you hired uh, Keenan Hall was his recruiting prowess and uh, the inroads he can make with some of the guys that he already has relationships with. Uh, you would hope that those would start to pay off because those were big gets for SMU at the time, even though you go like, man, it's really early on in the process. Um, But yeah, if that hire ends up swaying a couple of stellar athletes like that over to your side, then that's uh, that's great. That's fantastic news. And I think that I have no insight whatsoever. I just laid out a Chapel Hill tie, but no insight whatsoever. But I don't know. It seems to me like they would be uh, open to the idea and are uh, obviously – I'm going to listen to what Keenan Hall has to say. So, yeah, uh, something to keep an eye on for the Bears, it would seem like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As far as other stuff, I think, you know, mentioning the edge position, it's been a position that Baylor obviously was recruiting in the transfer portal this time around. It's really a position they haven't gotten, I think, the kind of production they want. And I know they've had Garmin Randolph for quite a few years, and he's been productive at times. They had William Bradley King. um, They had Byron Vaughns. Like, they've had guys, but there hasn't been a whole lot of stability there to go along with Eli production and I think they're really trying to fix that and when you look at the visitors that they had on campus when whether it's Kamarian Morgan who is I mean a borderline five-star guy that that guy's a top you know 75 prospect in the entire nation to get him on campus have him you know come into the studio and talk about Keenan Hall and talk about you know how big that is for Baylor to have him him talking about you know Dave Aranda saying that you know the program's changing and they need guys like Marion Morgan in their program. I think all of that speaks volumes, and to have a guy like that on campus is huge, but it wasn't just him. I mean, Chad Woodfork, another top 75 guy uh, out of Summer Creek, another edge prospect. Smith or Rogbo out of Alif Hastings, a guy who not a lot of people know a ton about, 
but they're learning because over the last two weeks, the guy's just absolutely blown up on the recruiting trail. And when you look at those three guys, you got three guys who I think are high-profile four-star guys by the time their recruitments are over. Um, And Baylor had all three on campus, so that was huge as well to go along with a couple other guys at edge. So they really focused on that position. They focused on the offensive line with Coach uh, Chris Kavalovic finally on on campus for this junior day. That was a big focus for them. Uh, Linebacker, a position they've struggled at, they really addressed that brought in a lot of guys and then wide receiver, another position where they've struggled with depth um, and high-end talent, honestly, at at times. And so I think they're trying to find guys that fit the new offense really well and also give them maybe some elite bursts, some elite um, traits as four-star prospects. They had multiple on campus. Yeah, well, uh, with all the new coaching hires and – you know, it'd be one thing if you were doing it, you know you had like four or five years to plan it out, but you also know you're kind of in a time crunch as well to to see all that this comes together and, and, and whatnot is going to be really interesting. But in talking to these new hires over the last week, I mean, Chris Kapilovic, uh, uh just a wily offensive line coach, and I think he's excited to be here. Um, they're going to obviously look a little bit different. I mean, with the wide zone, you didn't have to have like your big prototypical tackles and, you know, you could kind of do things a little bit differently. So I'm just curious about how their approach sort of changes there and the types of guys they're looking for um, a wide receiver, Jake Spavital said to us, and I had this in the article that he went back and watched all of the tape from last year, which was, he learned from the Larry Fedora mistake of to, to not, have watched the film and then you throw a product out there that's not very good and you get a lot of backlash for that. But Spavital has watched the film from last year, um, but he seems encouraged by the guys they have in that wide receiver room, but he even pointed them out. Like the running backs, I don't think you blink twice about that room. Tight ends you feel fine about. Uh, Quarterback, obviously they've addressed that. It's as good as you're going to get with what you have right now. But O-line, what does that look like? And, and, Probably the biggest question is, yeah, that wide receiver room. Uh, they brought in a couple transfers to add some experience, but um, at the same time, uh, there's a lot of young guys that we've been talking about for a couple of years now that it's like, I don't want to talk about you for another couple of years. Like, it's kind of now or never. Are you going to turn into a star? Are you going to turn into a big playmaker? Uh, can this offense be the thing that squeezes that out of you or just mat- maturation-wise or guys like Hal Presley ready to take another big step? Um, that's a very curious part of the puzzle. And, and maybe just in general, this offense helps them to do that uh, because of just the way that it emphasizes their talent. But, yeah, uh, yeah tight end, or excuse me, uh, wide receiver, offensive line, and then uh, linebackers, I think those have been the issues that you think of when you think of the roster and question marks and production, and uh, seems that that remains the case uh, for right now as well. Yeah, and and this is the class to address it, right? You had the transfer portal to try to address it for this season for immediate, you know, rewards, and I still think they could address these positions moving into, uh, you know, after spring. Uh, but this twenty twenty five class is really going to provide a nice baseline for talent for development and for just the future of this program and it's something that they're definitely focused on it's something that's been hyped up over the entire offseason about this 2025 class and now it's time to just get a bunch of guys committed and really you know come together with a really strong recruiting class we'll see if they're able to do that they're off to a great start with five commits already including a four-star quarterback and Adam Schobel um so I mean you can't really complain I mean three offensive linemen as well so they've done a really nice job but again it's all about how you finish and how you really you know how this whole process goes out and then how the final results look um so we'll see how that goes but I will say this junior day is one of the most promising junior days I've seen probably the most promising as far as the talent that 
that was on campus and the reactions that I got from it. Well, that's good because while it's not probably as big of a deal as it was once upon a time, I think it is still as big of a deal for a school like Baylor because your best chances, I think, to build something are to actually get guys early on and to build off that. And I know that there's the NIL portion of it and and getting your roster picked off here and there. But, you know, when you talk about all the guys that came back, I mean, and the foundation and the things you want to build off of, you got a pretty good group that all decided to come back in mass. And now it's kind of time to follow it up with some big young recruiting and a big splash in the in the form of your 2025 recruiting class. Because the last couple of years have kind of been eh, and you want to just build off of that and and keep that foundation going. So, um, yeah, they managed to hold on to what they had and, now, uh, what can they add on, and, and what kind of excitement can they generate and drum up when it comes to 2025? Because there's a lot of, you can tell already, a lot of promotion and a lot of talking about how good the class is going to be and almost wishing that it will be or wish casting that. Um, so they're they're starting to, to get the drums going, but uh, let's see them now go out on the trail and, and put together a nice class and, and have that uh, as a nice addition to uh, this foundation they've been laying for the last couple of years. So there you go. There's some junior day discussion a lot more of that a lot more info over on the website for premium members on sikkim365.com as the 2025 class gets off and running uh, in terms of being the focus now uh, for the most part for the coaching staff moving forward so there is that and uh, we'll get back to football in the mailbag but I think that's pretty much all the football right now and we'll touch on hoops before we head into the mailbag and for the Baylor men that means talking about Three straight losses, um, man, and just brutal losses at that. Just one game a week ago uh, as they had a little bit of a breather because of um, the way the schedule was laid out. And you had just come off of back-to-back losses against Kansas State on the road and Texas on the road. And last week had an opportunity to really bury Texas and Rodney Terry to some extent not entirely, but you had a chance to throw some good dirt on them. And instead, you uh, can't finish out, and Texas gets a big win there at the very end of the game. And that hands you your second loss after losing in overtime to Kansas State. So surely they bounce back against TCU, right? Nope. 105-102. Frogs win in triple overtime at the Foster Pavilion. Um, and it is now three straight losses for this Baylor men's team. By four, by two, and by three, and two of those games overtimes, but this one triple OT. Grayson, they just, uh, man, they cannot finish to save their life, and uh, it is now three straight losses after five straight wins, and so suddenly you're hovering around 500 in Big 12 play, and now uh, you got this week coming up tomorrow night. It'll be UCF on the road, uh, Johnny Dawkins and company. And then uh, you've got Iowa State at home this Saturday. But they're about to hit a stretch starting with Iowa State of four straight top 25 games. Um, so, man, it's life in the Big 12. But that TCU loss was particularly brutal uh, given how you came into the week kind of already – just hung over from a couple of close losses and just, man, can't get a win. And then triple overtime at home to your arch rival. That is particularly a brutal follow-up. Yeah, you can't lose home games in the Big 12. And we mentioned that the season really starts once you start losing those games. And Baylor lost one. They gave one away against TCU. It's as simple as that. They had a whole week, really, to prepare for that game. And still lost to a TCU team that's fine, but not a. They're not great. They're they're fine. They're they fine. Desperately they're needed that team. win. Baylor did. 
No, TCU did too. But I mean, I think I think it was the same for both. Well, right? both can I be mean, true. Yes, yeah. I'm just saying that this is a, a wounded duck TCU team that was like really needed to win, and and you gave it to them, and yeah. um, you needed to win too, and. Yeah, so it was a double whammy in that regard. And you got them at home. And TCU just showed more mental toughness at the end of the day. I mean, they found a way to stay in that game. Baylor jumped out to a nice lead in the second half, really dominated the second half throughout, it felt like. And they just would not, they couldn't pull away. And they've been doing this, you know, yearly and, or not yearly, but all year. And it's been um, really hard to watch. These last three games, I know that I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and say kind of both sides of the coin here, right? Is it true that all three of these games are tough for any team to win? Sure. Are all three of these games acceptable to lose at some point on the schedule? Absolutely. Does it still stink that all three happened right in a row? Absolutely. You can, all those things can be true, and that's why I think that this has just been such a hot topic of conversation, and a lot of people are basically saying this team is, you know, dead that they're not going to be able to you know compete the rest of the way that the season's over and all doom and gloom there's still plenty of Jesus, season left get a grip people but, like, but it's true God. i mean some people are talking about not making the tournament and uh, like it would have to take an epic fall for them to not make the tournament at this point with what they've done so far this year but it's also realistic to sit back and say you know we talked about this last week the ceiling is probably capped on this team. I believe that. I don't think they're winning a national championship or making a Final Four, but I also think that they can win any game on this schedule the rest of the way. They absolutely can. I don't care who they're playing. They've shown that they'll compete against anyone, but they got to find a way to win these close games um, because right now they're losing too many of them. They're not finishing. They're not competing late in games, and they're not closing, and that's a big problem, and once that trend continues – it can sometimes snowball on you, and then you start losing every single close game. They absolutely have to flip that, or else the schedule will eat them up. Yeah, Jameer Nelson Jr. with a huge uh, showing against the Bears, and uh, three OTs is where they find themselves on the losing end. Just can't beat TCU. I, I just, I, it's a crazy thing how this is uh, snowballed, it feels like. And I know they'll pick up a win here and there, women's basketball or something like that, but man, um, Football, we know how that's gone here. And then with uh, basketball, I mean, a prime opportunity. And now you're behind them in the standings. You're behind TCU in the standings now. And you were 3-0 and to start off Big 12 play, and now you're 3-3. Three and three. So this has been a brutal stretch for the Bears who, um, yeah, I'm sure having a little uh, confidence-shaking uh, moments and uh, are reeling a little bit, but they they got to get back on the ball this week because all of a sudden you start to go under 500, you dip under the surface of the water, and you might catch uh, catch the, the 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 wrong timing and not be able to catch your breath again. I mean, honestly, like I, I think the whole like three and three, three straight losses, and you're already talking about they're not going to make the tournament. I think that is just like you must be the type of person that you see Storm clouds rolling, and you just assume it's an F5 tornado, I guess. I mean, you're just that type of person. I, I, the pearl clutching to me is pretty ridiculous, but I do understand the concern. I will mm-hmm. say that. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I think to start acting like it's already happening is ridiculous because there's a lot of games left to play, and we are talking about a team that's losing by two points and, yeah. you know, short um, – uh, short deficits in triple overtime games so it's not as though they're getting blown out or losing convincingly they're losing close games and they can't finish now if they don't turn this around then yes they're gonna 
find themselves um, unable to recover and, and if they let this continue to slide. So I, I understand the concern there, but by no means is the season over or can they not climb out of a hole. But, yeah, it's it's not been good, that's for sure. It's been a bad bad run. Yeah, and so, I mean, last week I talked about the fact that Baylor probably needed to be 6-3 and three if they wanted to compete at the end and actually potentially win the Big 12 championship, and they can still get there. I mean, UCF has been way better at home than they have been on the road. They've been terrible on the road, but at home they, you know, they beat Kansas. I think they've only lost once in conference play at home uh, to BYU, but Baylor can win that game. And then you got two really tough matchups, but again, they're at home versus Iowa State and Tech. I think Tech's a little bit overrated. Baylor should win that game, but that Iowa State game is going to be massive. That's a game that I, I think I circle on the schedule and go, okay, if Baylor is actually a contender, if Baylor's actually a team that is going to fight and make a tournament run potentially, they got to win that game. It's at home against an Iowa State team that I believe to be a, a surefire top 15, maybe even a top 10 team in the country. They've been really, really good this year, and Baylor's going to have to match that level of intensity and hopefully match that home court ability because we've seen Iowa State do a great job at holding serve at home uh, so far this year. So still a lot to w- look forward to, but Baylor's going to have to make the adjustments this week and come through with a really, really big week against UCF and Iowa State. Yeah, have to beat UCF for sure. I mean, yep. I feel like you have to beat them. If you uh, lose a, a borderline top 10 team, that's understandable. You still really need to beat Iowa State, but you cannot lose the UCF no. on the road. Um, that would be a killer. And then you're looking at what is a record that would become three and four and then four straight top 25 games uh, as it stands right now. So, And then that's followed by a couple of road games and some more top 25 teams. And that's where you could find yourself in the midst of that slide of where I will join the, the naysayers and say, okay, yeah, there's, I know there's 10 games left, but dang, they're now three and seven or whatever it is. Then yeah, we'll, we'll join that party right now. They're at that tipping point where you're still okay, but you can't screw around too much more or you could find yourself falling over the ledge. So there is reason for concern. There's also reason for optimism that they can finish. They can find themselves getting some pretty big, nice wins that will uh, overcome the recent losses. But uh, it has been a struggle, and it's been hard to watch them not be able to close games. So here we go this week uh, with uh, UCF on the road coming up on Wednesday and then Iowa State, number 12 team in the country, uh, to follow on uh, Saturday. So that'll be a fun little stretch there. Uh, and then those Iowa State games and then Tech right after that, uh, both at Foster Pavilion. So I know there's already concern about Tech fans at Foster Pavilion and what mm-hmm. the crowd's going to look like and all of that. Still a couple games away, but that that's just next week. So we'll see how all that plays out. Meanwhile, on the women's side of things, um, it has been – you know, at times for them, uh, a bit of an up-and-down run uh, as well, but uh, getting a big win over Oklahoma State uh, this past Sunday, following up on their tough, close loss to Kansas State uh, a few days prior. Uh, so got a little bit of a breather themselves and able to come back and go on the road and get a nice win over the Cowgirls up in Stillwater. So now it's uh, a little bit of a waiting game until Thursday when they will take on the Texas Longhorns. And uh, that's always a fun matchup, always a, an interesting matchup with UT. But uh, the Baylor women now find themselves at 16-3 and overall and 5-3 and in conference play. They also have a big uh, honor that will be coming up that we can talk about as well. But, um, yeah, Baylor women just kind of chugging along and, uh, looking good, but uh, 
you know, a lot of seasons still left to play out for Nikki Collin and company. Yeah, I mean, a really nice win, I think, and something, again, they're trying to kind of get back on track. So to go on the road and get a win like that, the last two uh, road games that Baylor played in against Iowa State and Kansas did not go well. So to kind of get their mojo back on the road, I, I think, was a big piece of the puzzle, even though Oklahoma State is pretty mediocre. They're like 11-9 and nine on the year. Yeah, they are 11-9 and nine on the season. And so... um yeah, I mean, it's nice to get back on track. The huge matchup against Texas, a game that, you know, Baylor already beat them once on the road. So uh, the Bears should have a nice chance to win that game. Uh, we'll see. Texas has been playing better than Baylor as of recent, um, but that's going to be a huge one for sure. The good news is the schedule does loosen up a little bit. BYU and Houston follow that Texas game. So if they can get by Texas, they should have a nice chance to maybe go on a four-game winning streak, which they definitely need just to get that, again, get back in that groove of winning and potentially being a, a top 10 team. Yeah, they're 16-3 and three overall, number 13 team in the country. They're the third highest ranked team in the Big 12 of the four teams that are ranked. Um, but Texas is one spot above them. So you're playing somebody that's right there in the same spot, basically, that you are, and they're actually one game above you in the standings. So multiple opportunities here to close some ground or gain ground or just get a nice win Nice top 25, top 15 win for Nikki Collin and company. But K-State out in front, 9-0. and Number two team in the country right now are the Wildcat women. Then you got OU at 7-1. and uh, West Virginia, Texas, both with uh, six wins. West Virginia's got one less loss at 6-2. and two. And then uh, there's Iowa State at 6-3. and three, And then Baylor at 5-3. and three. So they're not quite in the middle of the pack. But you lose a game and you're going to find yourself squarely in the middle you win a game and you're still floating up above near the top and and staying in contention. But yeah, it would be huge to get uh, a win over Texas uh, coming up this weekend for Nikki Collin and company. So we'll be monitoring that as well as uh, they close in on uh, close in on wrapping it up against the Texas Longhorns. Something to keep in mind now with these final matchups. There's always we don't know for sure the conference tournaments and and playing those teams, but. Yeah, starting to wind things down here with the last matchups. I guess we'll still have baseball, softball, and all that, but uh, I am trying to, to remind myself of that because that'll be gone before you know it. So there's that uh, nice win over Oklahoma State, and now they take on number 12, Texas. And uh, at the same time, a little bit of news to announce that uh, came out yesterday. The women's basketball program is going to be retiring. Brittany Griner's number 42 jersey coming up on Sunday, February the 18th, which is a home game against Texas Tech that will start at 3 p.m. out at the Foster Pavilion and in a pregame ceremony prior to taking on the Lady Raiders. Uh, that is when they will retire Brittany Griner's jersey. There was a write-up on it. It was actually Zach Smith from, like, the Waco Trib had the report, and then, like, 30 minutes later, the, the story popped, and they had officially confirmed that, yes, in fact, they will be retiring her jersey. So, write-up was put out, and they had quotes from Brittany and Mac Rhodes and Nikki Collins. This is something that Nikki Collins has been working on really since she took the job. Uh, she's been trying to repair the relationship uh, with Brittany and Baylor and um, doing her part to build a relationship uh, on her end. And so uh, this is part of that process and part of the healing, I think, between Brittany and Baylor after kind of uh, being on the outs the last few years. And not so much with Baylor, but more just with Kim Mulkey um, was most of it. So now uh, I think a well-deserved honor, greatest basketball player in Baylor history, Baylor women's history uh, for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any – 
any uh, buildup needed, uh, this is a no-brainer in my eyes. So Brittany Griner getting her jersey retired. Yeah, I mean, she's one of the greatest defensive players ever in women's basketball yeah. history. Um, she's got the most blocks ever, I think, uh, for a career still. And she was, I think she got passed by Caitlin Clark recently on the all-time scoring list as well. So, I mean, just a remarkable career. I, I know multiple people have kind of been, uh, I've seen a couple of people put out like their Mount Rushmore of Baylor athletes and her potentially being on there. I think, you know, she's definitely right up there uh, in consideration. And she was an all-time great. And she had an amazing run at Baylor, won a national championship. Always felt like, you know, I always look back and felt like they could have won another one, should have won another one. Um, didn't quite happen, but she got the one, went 40-0 that year. And I think in general, this is just awesome for the Baylor community. Great for Brittany Griner as well. Uh, she's had her, you know, struggles over the last year. And so it's really nice to see, you know, her kind of get this honor um, and obviously have a better relationship with the Baylor community and with the head coach and Nikki Collin. I, I think it's tremendous. And she was such a, a great, I don't know. She just, everything about what she did at Baylor was tremendous um, on the basketball court. She was phenomenal. Yep. She was a legend and uh, is getting legendary treatment as a result. And so, yeah, no question about it that she earned it on the court and is um, one of the most popular and uh, I guess most decorated athletes in Baylor athletics history. And certainly you think of impacts to their sport. I don't know if anybody is higher on the list than Brittany with women's basketball. I mean, we had some great athletes, but as far as contributions and impact at their particular skill, um, I think she's about as big as it's gotten, um, with all due respect to a lot of great athletes. Uh, So there you go with that. So that'll also be something to uh, have circled on the calendar. That's February the 18th when the Bears take on Texas Tech. So Brittany Griner getting her jersey Retired, and I think that about wraps up uh, notes here. So we'll get on into the mailbag and wind this bad boy on down. Another week about to be in the books and got a handful of questions. So Doc Crow will start it off with any funny recruiting stories from years past. You mentioned running into C.J. Stroud on his visit. Maybe interested in what other stuff you've come across in the past. So I'm guessing this is directed towards you, Grayson. Yeah, I missed so the C.J. Stroud there. For those that don't know, I, I actually – C.J. Stroud was – recruited heavily by Baylor and actually was at Baylor for a visit at one time. I actually randomly ran into him on campus at Baylor. Um, and I knew him a little bit cause I had met him at the elite 11 camp in which he won the MVP award and Baylor was still in on him at that point. And then I think it was, was this, this Matt rule? Yeah, Matt rule. And it was, uh, and then immediately it was Michigan, Ohio state, Oregon, all offered. And see then ya. it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, then it was done, but it was really cool to see him on campus. He was actually with Jade Barron, if I remember correctly. I um, mean, I was filming a commitment video uh, for another prospect out there and ran into them. So that was kind of a random story. You know, I, I, it's hard to really think of any specific ones that were, you know, really cool or impactful. Obviously everyone knows about my first ever interview with Sikkim three. 65 where went over and talked to Bobby Wolf and Eric Young over at a hotel here in Waco. Um, it's pouring rain. We had to do it at a hotel because they couldn't find the studio, um, which was the container at that time. And they both told me, yeah, we love Baylor, not making any decisions anytime soon. Um, going to A&M tomorrow, no big deal. Okay, cool. Great interview. Nothing, nothing, nothing too crazy. The next day, Bobby Wolf commits to Texas A&M. So that was my first taste of uh, – recruiting there, recruiting possibilities and what can happen. And everyone 
laughed about that. So that was kind of my main one. You know, I, I'd really have to sit down and think about it. I mean, there were obviously, there's been a lot of guys that I've been around who are now, you know, NFL guys, which has been cool to see, but not really many, any stories outside of, you know, those couple that I can think of just kind of off the top of my head. I'll try to think of one. If I can figure out another one, I'll I'll tell that story later on. But the CJ Stroud one is really cool, especially with where he is now. Um, It's very, very cool. Yeah, I think a lot of things would have been different had he be, uh, had he been able to, um, somehow find himself at Baylor, but certainly uh, got a lot of offers right after that, as you mentioned, and uh, the rest is history as far as he and Ohio State and now he and the Houston Texans. But uh, a lot of history still left to be made. What an incredible player. Would have been a great representative, too, for yeah any school. But for Baylor, I could definitely see where he would have fit in with his faith and things like that. But, uh, yeah, recruiting stories, there's there's a ton of them out there. I, I don't have never chosen to follow the recruiting beat awfully closely, like as far as as closely as a, a Grayson or, or other guys in the industry of like the day to day. Cause I don't think I had the patience for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've had patience for some of the games and there was a time it's gotten better, but there was a time where the games were like kind of out of control with just the yeah. mind games and the, the, the playing around with visits and things like that. Like, I, I just don't have the patience for it, but there are a lot of interesting recruiting stories out there, especially if you come across somebody who's been in the industry for a long time. You can really, mm-hmm. uh, over a couple beers, get the, the stories flowing. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone starts talking to me with a beer and we start talking about Novasad's recruitment, that's yeah, one that obviously one. was a huge, a huge one. I, I mean, there's been so many where a guy, you know, flips or something happens. I mean, Isaiah Hookfin, you know, that, yep, was, that was another story. One. Um, there's been a lot. It, it's been it's been an interesting ride, but those I probably need to need to keep keep to myself the some of the so off the uh, podcast yeah. stories <laughs> for the most part. Have you heard of any of the new guys making impressions with the off season workouts? Nothing too drastic yet. I mean, it's early. It's just football school right now. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of lifting, and you can kind of get a taste of that with the strength and conditioning Twitter, kind of seeing who's won the day or, or whatnot at various positions. But no one specific is just, oh man, they, we already know this guy's going to be an all conference guy. Like we'll get to know that in the spring. But right now, it's more just about getting to know the new staff and kind of getting uh, getting your body right for the spring. Yeah, there's a lot of getting to know right now with these new coaches. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, and I mentioned in the Jake Spavital article, they've mostly been on the road since they were hired. So now it's starting to wind down. They're getting a couple days a week to be around the players uh, in a limited fashion. So a lot of very early teaching going on and uh, getting into the installs and just getting to know like the offense and the things that they're going to be doing on defense and and all of that, so it's still very, very early. But I, this is a good time of year to follow like the strength and conditioning account. You'll just see their updated kind of charts that they throw out there from time to time. I don't know what a, kind of a regular schedule that's on as far as when they release those, um, but you'll see kind of who's who's doing well in the weight room, and you know take from that what you want. It doesn't always turn into a great indicator of, of things to come, but yeah. it is something to monitor and follow on on who's you know, standing out amongst the pack. But, uh, yeah, a lot of just workouts going on uh, at the moment. Who would you project as starting linebackers next year? Right now, Matt Jones and uh, the Juco prospect that they just landed, Keaton Thomas. Those would be my guesses for now. Uh, Scotty B. the Baylor King, thank you, Doc. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surreal are you that Brittany Griner will have her jersey retired? For me, it's a 10, and so I remember nearly every game in the Farrell Center was packed to the brim when she was at Baylor. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very high up there. I wasn't the, I'm not the biggest women's basketball fan. I'm not going to lie and say I went to a ton of games, but Dude, I did see Dude, you were telling me your NBA, times. WNBA mock draft before the show started. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm I'm hiding it a little bit, but no, I, I mean, she was so fun to watch. And so I, I'm going to put it at 10. I mean, she deserves this. This is incredible. And every time I watched her, it was just like, oh my gosh, she's just, she's different than everyone else. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't, a scale of one to 10. I mean, I, I don't know in terms of it being surreal because I know that this is something they've been chipping away at and working mm-hmm. on. So I'm not really shocked by it. It's not as though it came out of nowhere. Uh, Nikki Collin pretty clearly ever since she took the job was trying to repair that relationship. Um, but yeah, it's it's a high score just for the the simple fact that it's taking place, Scotty. And I think it's a good thing for both parties. And hopefully, it's a great turnout. Brittany, you know, made an impact here, and hopefully, the people who enjoyed watching her all those years uh, can be there and and uh, cheer uh, that ceremony on when it occurs uh, coming up here um, against Texas Tech. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a day that, you know, I don't know if it ever would have come if somebody else was still here. I wonder how long that would have taken had Kim Mulkey still been the head coach and yeah. if that ever would have been repaired, I don't know. Um, but different era, different ownership, so to speak, and, um, you know, the program's in different hands. And so they've made this move to honor Brittany, and I think it's great. And uh, hopefully it, it leads to a lot of positive things. Billy21, are there any accolades or not of how the transfers are adapting to the regiment of the weight room and related attitude betterment of Baylor? Not again, too early to tell, I would say. Uh, we'll get more into that during the spring, I would think. Yeah, uh, Billy, just yeah, circle back, maybe put that in the notes and a reminder for like one month from now or something like that, and maybe we can shed a little bit more light for you. Do you surmise that there will be any commits from the fabulous junior day activities? I think so. I think there will probably be one or two, I would think. Did some of the junior day visitors come to Baylor with a ho-hum, just another visit, and left with fantastic attitude? Thanks for your review and comments. Well, thank you, Billy21. Yeah, I mean, there there, there were some guys who I would say I wasn't sure if Baylor was really on their radar or high up on their list, and, and I would say that uh, the visit definitely changed that for a lot of these prospects. Again, it, it was a great day, a lot of great activities, and the relationships building at Baylor right now are very special. Just a bear in a frog world, uh, in frog world. What do you guys think happens to the NCAA after the media rights deal for the tournament expires in 2032? No idea. You got thoughts on this, Craig? Um, yeah, I mean, not not really long thoughts, especially pressed for time. Um, and that's a, that's a long ways away, and yet it's not. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's clearly a situation where there's some changes to basketball and its place and how it's functioning and and where it all falls under the umbrella of college sports. I mean, there's certainly talk from Brett Yormark about the potential for more um, when it comes to basketball in the Big 12, right, and and maximizing that more monetarily, but there's not really a clear answer to how to do that just yet. Um, So we'll see. But, yeah, I I don't know. If there's the big breakaway, right, what happens to the NCAA tournament or – is that basically all the NCAA is at, at some point of just that's what they do is the tournament or, or is is it I don't know that's the thing is I I don't know I'm just as fascinated uh, as everybody else just a bear and frog world so um, check back on that at a later date and we can dive more into that but that's part of just the greater realignment picture in so many ways as well and just I, mean, I don't mean realignment just for conferences um, like Arizona coming to the Bay 12 I mean just the whole operation 
at the Division One level of college sports in general. I think that's all being realigned right now, and that, that plays into your question. And so, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't see a, a clear answer to that question right now. Master Pierce, MPH, Akinjo versus Dennis, who are you taking in a close game when you need a big bucket the most in the final minutes? If I need a bucket, I'm going to take Ray J. Dennis. If I need a stop, I'm taking James Akinjo. That's kind of how I view it. All right, that's fair. Talk to me about how big of a thing it is for Griner to have a good relationship with Colin. Does this help our recruiting angle at all to potentially get a solid center player for next year and years to come? I, I mean, I think it's really cool that there's a relationship, and the only way this happens is them having a good relationship. But I don't think it really helps in recruiting, to be honest. I think it's too far in the past for it to be something where they need to make sure that Nikki Collin has a good relationship with a player she didn't even coach. I, I just don't think that that really translates all that well. But I do think it's nice that if you have visits and if Griner's on campus, she could talk to recruits or something along those lines. That might be kind of cool and beneficial. Yeah, I mean, I think it could pay off in various ways down the line. Um, but as far as, you know, turning into getting a big-time center, I, I don't know that that necessarily will be the case. Uh, but having a good relationship, and you can point to Brittany, and, and Brittany can point back, and it's not like anger and, and hatred or whatever, then that's always positive, that she'll speak positively about the program and maybe nudge somebody uh, who's listening or influenced in, in the right direction. That certainly can't hurt. I don't think it guarantees anything other than just some healed emotions for a lot of people involved, uh, particularly Brittany. Um, you know, obviously there's other parts of her relationship with that whole era at Baylor that is off Baylor's hands and will have to be figured out somehow or another. But uh, I, I just think it's good and healthy to have them, you know, on the same page and uh, the school she went to embracing her and her embracing the school back. And, um, you know, if that turns into some recruiting wins down the line, that would be great, but not not banking on it or guaranteeing it. Um, Mikey, which running backs on our roster are best fits for the new offense? Yeah, I think that uh, Dominic Richardson is probably the, the fit when I look at what has he done in the past? Has he proven he can run in this offense and, and various things like that? I, I think that he's probably the best fit for what we know. Uh, but I also think Dawson Pendergrass has shown enough that you can see how his skill set would translate to this offense very well. Um, so those two I'm definitely intrigued by. I think Richard Reese is actually going to be better in this offense than he was in the last one. I know people have concerns about him making people miss in the hole. Um, but if a hole is there, we've seen the explosiveness and the burst that he has, which is exceptional um, and definitely different than what they have on the roster. Also, Jamel, uh, Jamal Bell, uh, the Nevada transfer, uh, he had 32 carries last year. So he could be a guy that comes in as a change of pace back uh, and a pass catching back out of the backfield for this offense as well. And Mikey will close us out with his part two question. Any chance Jordan Jenkins gets his chance to finally show what made him so great in high school? And has Jordan Neighbors already moved back to wide receiver? Seems that way based on his athlete bio on BaylorBears.com. Thanks as always, gents. Well, thank you, Mikey. So I guess first, Jordan Jenkins, any chance he'll show some of those Lindale flashes? It's just getting so late that it's hard for me to expect him to just take over the reins and be the guy at running back. I just I don't know who he's going to pass up on the depth chart at this point. So I, I don't know. I That's where I'm at right now. Jordan was so good at Lindale, but it just hasn't all come together for him in college quite yet. I'm hopeful for him, though, because he was awesome and electric at Lindale. As far as Jordan Neighbors goes, yeah, I I mean, we mentioned this multiple times. I thought with the new offense coming in that Neighbors would move back to wide receiver, and I think during football school, uh, he's been primarily focused on that. All right, so there is uh, your final question there from Mikey, and uh, thank you again, Mikey and Master Pierce and just the Baron Frog world. 
and Billy21 and Scotty B and Doc. Uh, as always, appreciate the questions, everyone. And if you ever want to be a part of the mailbag, then just look for the thread that Grayson posts each week at the beginning of the week. Uh, typically titled Bearcast Questions, and you can get your question in there, and uh, we will get to it so long as time allows. But the schedule release for football, we know everything but the times now and the networks, but that will all come in due time. Uh, football school starting up, uh, winter workouts ongoing for football, and obviously some up and down for men's and women's basketball, but a Baylor legend now back in the Good graces, I guess, and getting her jersey retired and Brittany Griner. So a lot of news these last few days. Grayson, anything before we head out here? No, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium if you haven't already. Lots of recruiting news notes. We got tons of notes on football, uh, different articles on that, and then, of course, basketball, all the basketball you could possibly want at this point. Be sure to check it out on Sikkim365.com. Yes, I have a write-up on Jake Spavitol from our interview a few days back uh, just to give you kind of a refresher on him and being at Baylor and the offense and things like that. And I'll have a couple more of those types of stories coming up with the new coaches over the next few days. I'm thinking about maybe just doing like a little quick thoughts on the schedule type of a thing. I'm sure we'll have some articles like that across the staff as well. So a lot of content coming your way. And if you haven't already signed up for the premium section of Sikkim365.com to get all of that. And if you don't mind, if you're watching us on YouTube – or uh, be a podcast, uh, hit the subscribe button, whichever platform you're on, but particularly on YouTube, hit that uh, subscribe to Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365, and also hit that thumbs up button, and we would appreciate that very much. But that'll do it for us this week. Thank you to Garrett Ross behind the scenes as always, and uh, we will not be back together next week uh, because of the Super Bowl and all of that, so I think Grayson's going to be flying solo um, for National Signing Day number two, we don't have the big live show because there's not a lot of activity. But uh, we will keep you up to date on all those things, and uh, we'll we'll have information flying your way um, no matter what. That's for yeah. sure. So, Grayson, appreciate you at all, as always. Thanks to Garrett Ross. Thanks to you for listening and watching. And until next time, I'm Craig Smoke. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.